time. Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple. Either me, the guest, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time, and we're simply going to talk about it. No surprise, this is a movie, and this is one I haven't seen. I'm flipping the script a little bit. Um, it's been maybe, I don't think I've done one since um, our return for a sort of season two, but um, most of them have been movies that I picked for my guests, and I was excited to finally see one for the first time myself. So uh, my guest today is the co-host of the Twitch of the Death Nerve podcast. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So um, we've sort of bounced around. We're sort of in the same uh, film circle, I would say, podcast circle. Uh, you've been on Attack of the Killer podcast as a guest before. We like similar things, but um, I consider you someone who has a much more vast knowledge of all things. Uh, I, I would even know exploitation, Some, someone who likes the, the really weird, you, you know, the deep cuts more so than me. Um, so I knew when we had talked about being on the show, I was like, oh, he's going to have to pick something for me. Cause one, I'm not going to find something that you haven't seen that I have. And two, like, I knew you're going to pick something that was on my list that I really wanted to see. And, um, for people who are listening and don't know, I have this, uh, letterbox list. I actually have two of them, but one is like films I haven't seen. And when people see that list they're I, I can't see them, but I imagine their jaws drop like uh, a cartoon. And they're like, holy shit, this guy hasn't seen anything. How does he have a podcast? Um, but, you know, we celebrate the, that on this show that um, I, I think it's great when people haven't seen things because that means you get to introduce it to it. So um, what? Well, first, before we get into the movie, which people already know what it is because they clicked on this podcast. But um, why don't you tell me a little bit about Twitch of the Death, Death Nerve? Because I just listened to your Assault on Precinct 13 episode. It's probably one of my favorite Carpenter films. I fucking love that movie. So, Oh, I do uh, so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, and, and, you know, it's I mean, I could talk Carpenter all day and I won't try to go down that rabbit hole because this will become the John Carpenter podcast. But um, <laughs> tell my listeners a little bit about what your show is um, and what it's all about. All right. Oh, it's a uh, podcast that kind of deals with cult movies in general, usually the more weirder ones. But we do throw in some gems that, you know, everybody knows and loves, like Assault and Precinct 13 and Shogun Assassin. But uh, yeah, my previous podcast was horror only, and I kind of got burnt out doing that pretty quickly, even though like horror is easily my favorite genre. I did want to talk about other movies. So my uh, friends, Sam and Charles, they kind of were on the same wavelength with me. And we're like, let's get something a bit more broad and get together like every two weeks or so and just get drunk and ramble. <laughs> well, that's sort of how this show came to be, too, because I love Attack of the Killer podcast. Um, and it's, it's so much fun to talk about horror, but I like a variety of movies. And I was like, you know, I, I need to uh, scratch that itch of having um, other types of movies, you know, and, and getting out there. And, and I, li I love comedies. I love dramas. I love uh, a little bit of everything. And so this has sort of been my way to knock a lot of this stuff off the list. And, um, you know, as a podcaster, sometimes it probably feels like uh, we just sort of it's like I can't watch a movie for the first time now and not talk about it. So everything is it's almost for content. But uh, right. it, it, it's sort of funny how you say, like, you know, we do some of the, the mainstream stuff like Assault on Precinct 13, even though that's probably John Carpenter's like least known film besides maybe, you know, who's watching me or, or some of the, the, the deep, deep cuts, you know, like his student films or something. But right. as far as his features, that has to be probably his his least known one, I would say, wouldn't you? 
Uh, that and Dark Star. Everybody kind of forgets about Dark Star. I feel like I could be wrong. Yeah, and you know, I, I of course, like I think you guys said on that same show, it's like the worst Carpenter movie is still better than most people's best movies. Right, um, right. But you know, I I remember like I got into Carpenter because I saw Halloween, and I was like, okay, I gotta know who made this. What's the story behind it? Of course, it led down the rabbit hole. It's like, holy shit, this guy did like a kung fu movie. This guy did. Uh, you know, uh, almost like a Spielberg film with uh, with a star man like he's he's done a little bit of everything, even though he's known for horror. But um, yeah, Assault on Precinct 13, when I got to that one in the scene with a girl and she gets shot, it's like, oh, God, oh, yeah. it's like, holy shit, man, Carpenter. Like, yeah, that's that's pretty, uh, you know, there's not even like a warning. It's, it's just point blank shoots a little girl it's it's wild shit that's the most shocking part of it is like it's not even built up at all it just happens and it just catches you so off guard yeah and i remember we, we were lucky enough to see him and his band perform in chicago twice and uh they played assault uh the theme twice like on both shows and they played the movie behind like clips of the movie and they played that and, and even though I mean, who's going to come to a Carpenter show and not know that movie? But it, it was right. like seeing it on the big screen behind him while his band played, people were still like gasping, like, oh, <laughs> it still got him. You know what? Like 40 years later, it's crazy. Yeah, it's still taboo. You know, it's it's it, something when a movie does something like that or and like I love animals in real life. But like when a movie kills an animal in it, you kind of know, like they're taking the gloves off, like they're going to they're they're going to handle you pretty harshly yeah and you know we, we don't really see a whole lot of that now um you know and carpenter never really did i mean he never really went back to that it, it feels like his most exploitive movie by far like it, it's just so gritty and cool but uh if, if you haven't seen it i suggest watching it and then going and listening to the twitch of the death nerve episode because it's fantastic and uh I just I felt like I was in the room with you guys like I was talking back like yeah you guys are right you guys are right oh thank you I and I have to add I think honestly you're doing the Lord's work with this podcast because I know so many people who love movies but like they love the movies they love and it's hard to get them to watch something new and it's just like oh wow this whole the whole concept is like you're seeing something new or you're getting somebody to watch something else and it's like breaking them out of their comfort zone sometimes and it's like yes you there's so many good movies out there that are just waiting to be watched yeah and and i think it, it gets other people excited like when uh, they see things i haven't seen like they see that list and if the guest is excited, I mean, that's just as good, you know, uh, and it helps me get stuff off my list. Uh, I have no excuse now. You know, it's like, right, we're going to record about, you know, we're going to record. And it also sort of makes me actually like focus on it and sit down and watch it because I actually have to pay attention. And um, but it's been a lot of fun. Like, you know, it's it's amazing what you find out about people when you put this out there, like right after i had scheduled that ghostbusters episode another jason reached out to me and he's like hey you know abe on um brett and tony podcast he's never seen ghostbusters i'm like what are the odds i just scheduled a ghostbusters episode with someone wow. else and so i i'm like you know i know more than one person who hadn't seen it and that's that's surprising but it's like imagine being able to see it for the first time in your 30s i mean i don't know if that's right. good or bad but uh you know i i'm sort of jealous like living through my uh, nieces and nephews who get to see movies for the first time. I'm like, you know, I remember when I was a kid and saw Karate Kid for the first time, thanks to my brother. And, you know, slowly built up to, you know, the, the weird horror stuff. And 
how it sort of just shaped everything. And that's why I'm here recording a podcast to run a film festival. And I'm the weirdo that I am thanks to the stuff I, my brother <laughs> introduced me to, you know? So it's like the modern, modern version of that is, you know, come on my show and talk about it. And I've, I've seen friends that, you know, post on Facebook. I just watched this for the first time. And it's like, Hey, jump on the show. Let's talk about it. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't, but, uh, I'm always trying to reach out and, and find new things for me and for my guests. But, uh, the movie we're talking about tonight is one that you picked, and it is Manhunter. Intruder entered through kitchen sliding door. Nationwide victims. Yeah, this is Will Graham of the FBI. One killer. This is what the subject's teeth look like. Manhunter was released August 15th, 1986, written and directed by Michael Mann, who is also known for Last of the Mohicans and Heat, based on the book Red Dragon by Thomas Harris. Uh, this movie stars William Peterson as Will Graham, Kim Greist as Molly Graham, Joan Allen as Reba McLean, Brian Cox as Dr. Hannibal Lecter, Dennis Faring as Jack Crawford, Tom Noonan as Francis Dollarhide also the tooth fairy um steven lang as freddie sounds and a very young chris elliott uh yeah. i just had to throw that out because i'm like wait is that fucking chris elliott sitting at the yeah. table uh and a, a quick synopsis of this one fbi criminal profiler uh will graham is called out of early retirement to assist on a serial murder case involving a killer known as the tooth fairy graham enlists the help of an imprisoned serial killer and cannibal dr hannibal lecter who is the reason Graham took an early retirement. Soon, Graham and the FBI are entangled in a deadly cat-and-mouse game between the Tooth Fairy, Lecter, and an interfering journalist played by Stephen Lang. So this had quite a few people. I had no idea who all was in this, and I'm like, oh, shit, Brian Cox? And then I'm like, oh, Tom Noonan? And then, you know, Stephen Lang? Like, this has some big names in it. Um, I, I've heard about this movie forever. Um, I grew up with... 
the other Hannibals, you know, I, I've, I, there's been countless TV adaptations. We have, um, you know, several film, several film adaptations. I'm very curious. I have questions for you because that you probably know more about this. Um, so out of all the movies on my list, why did you pick Manhunter? Uh, outside of the fact that I just, I love this movie so much. Um, somebody, uh, put it back in my brain i was guesting on erica's unsung horrors podcast and her co-host lance they pick a double feature for the movie they're covering and they're like uh i would double this with manhunter and i'm like oh my god like i fucking love that movie and um then for whatever reason before i messaged you i checked your letterbox thing and it was on there and i was like yeah um that movie's in my head right now let's let's talk about this well, I, I, like I said, I had sort of have a lot of questions about this because right now it's sort of a trend. Like if a movie, you know, they, they just redid Suicide Squad, they redid Spider-Man, they redo everything so quickly now. But back when this was made in the 80s, that was not very common. So they do Manhunter, which is based on Red Dragon. And then a few years later, we get Silence of the Lambs with that's really not connected to this, right? I mean, it's its own adaptation of a, of the sequel. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I put it in its own separate universe easily. And so is there any history as to why that was like, why, why they decided, I mean, this, did this do well in theaters? Was this like a considered a success or was it? No, this was, this was actually a big flop. Okay. That makes Um, sense then. Yeah. um, One reason is because the best-selling novel that it's based on was called Red Dragon. But uh, I can't remember the guy's name. The guy who made Heaven's Gate, which was like a massive failure in like 1979. He was the guy who did The Deer Hunter. He followed up with this movie, Heaven's Gate. He made a movie called Year of the Dragon that came out previously that Dino De Laurentiis, the guy releasing this, did. And that was also a massive flop. So Dino De Laurentiis was like, people think when they hear Dragon that it's going to be a martial arts movie. And Year of the Dragon was a flop. So he made Michael Mann change the name to Manhunter. And Michael Mann fought it but lost. And then it was released under Manhunter and flopped and then kind of went into obscurity. And to I I probably should have said this earlier, but we actually watched and we're talking about the director's cut. Um, I've never seen the theatrical, so I'm sort of curious. you specifically wanted us to watch the director's cut. Is it a huge difference between the two? Uh, no, but there's there's added bits that really kind of add to the atmosphere and kind of add to the character of Will Graham, mm-hmm. which is like a big deal, considering like the whole movie is kind of like that internal tightrope that he walks of being sane and absolutely insane. I've seen, I think I've seen, uh, obviously I've seen Silence of the Lambs. I feel like that's um, sort of the, the one that everyone has seen. It went on to win Oscars. Um, but I believe I have seen, I don't think I've actually seen Red Dragon. So I was at an advantage going in. I'm not going to be able to compare it directly. Um, and Good. I, and you're, I, you're, you're, you're so much better off. And I, Trust me. And I think it's like, um, it's hard to just sort of be like, and, and here's Manhunter and not compare it to the other, the rest of the franchise that's not connected. But um it's just like seeing those others that are, they feel so much more polished. And I watched this and I, I loved it. I like love the tone. 
I love that the performances, uh, the soundtrack fucking rules. Uh, and like I said, Tom Noonan, I'm like, holy shit, you know, uh, he's an all, he's so fucking creepy in this, but you know, he's absolutely terrifying in this. Yeah. I mean, to me, everybody in this, like, this is probably out of all the 20 Will Grahams that we've had, uh, (laughs) William Peterson to me was, was so good. I just can't believe this is not more talked about like how you know silence of the lambs was the one that won all the awards and it's it's not a bad movie i'm not shitting on it and it's weird as apples and oranges comparing the two but i just feel like this one deserves a lot more credit like i've overlooked it for all this time and i'm like man this is this is something that should be talked about more often and then i of course i look it up and shout factory has a special edition blu-ray that's out of print and that's like a hundred dollars so i was late to the party yeah, isn't that the worst? Yeah, and that has like both cuts and all the special features. So now I'm hoping like eventually I'll find it at either a convention or like a resale shop or something somewhere or they'll get the rights oh back or something because I, I want that thing. So, yeah, I thought, you know, Brian Cox was was brilliant as Hannibal Lecter, which I noticed in the credits they spell it like L-E-C-K-T-O-R different. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they spelled it wrong. I don't know if that's intentional or what, but. I fucking love Brian Cox, and I know this is the controversial opinion, and everybody, all my friends think I say it just to, like, like be that guy, but I think he's the best Hannibal Lecter. He's so much more subtle and creepy. Uh, he always get, the, the scene with him in the phone, mm-hmm. when he gets Will Graham's address, like, how he just plays that scene is just so perfect. And, like, I love Anthony Hopkins, but it's he hams it up too much. Like he, he he's he's almost playing it like a Bond villain. Yeah, and uh again, like uh it's it's sort of like apples and oranges, but I have to agree and you know, especially when we got into like the Red Dragon territory, the later movies. Uh yeah, I don't know. I, I, I know, you know, those were like what the late nineties with Red Dragon, like ninety eight or something. No, it was two thousand and two. Oh, okay. And I think the main problem was it was Brett Ratner directing. Yeah. And the difference, you can see the difference if you watch the two, is because Brett Ratner is kind of just like this studio director. He's just there because the studio knows he can get footage in a can. While you watch Manhunter and you can see Michael Mann has a vision. You know, it's it's just like very expressionistic. It's very weird a lot of people call this movie dated because it's very 80s but i kind of think dated is sort of like uh uh, i don't want to say slur that's too harsh of a word but uh it it, it has like negative connotations while i would prefer that they say it's of a time yeah yeah i mean he was known for uh i mean he did miami vice right he was like one of yes. the creators of miami, yeah. miami vice and i i yeah, did not he was the showrunner yeah i did not know that until i start looking on IMD. i'm like i know his name what did he do and i'm like oh i remember last mohicans and heat i've seen but um you know when i you see that scene from their bedroom with like the blue light and you see yes so i'm like okay that's totally like a miami vice scene but not in a bad way you know what's really funny is that the same year this came out on Halloween, Miami Vice released a Manhunter episode where it's Don Johnson trying to get into the head of this guy who keeps doing uh, burglaries in these like upscale houses in the middle of the night. And every time he burglarizes this house, he gets a little closer to the bedrooms where everybody is sleeping. And Don Johnson knows that like eventually one of these houses, he's going to murder whoever's in there. And he starts going insane. And it's actually like 
awesome and creepy. That sounds pretty awesome. I remember there's like a, and this is totally off topic, but it just made me think of it. I think there's like an old Knight Rider Halloween episode where the Halloween three masks are like make a camera. Really? Yeah. They're like, like t- people in the, in like suits or tuxedos are wearing them at a Halloween party. And it's like, Oh, the silver shamrock masks. They even have the chip on them. They must've got them di- like directly from Don Post or something. You know, what's really funny. Oh, I'm blanking on the fucking movie, but me and Erica just watched, um, a movie where somebody's walking around in the Halloween three skull mask, but it was before I'm, I'm like 90% sure that the movie was before Halloween three. Crazy. Uh, I'll have to ask her. That's going to be nagging me all night now. I was going to say, just, uh, you know, hit pause, go, go ask her, uh, just send her a text message while we're recording. But, uh, I, I really, yeah, I really, really enjoy this. Um, and like I said, what a kick-ass soundtrack, uh, great performances. So it's really cool that they wait forever for us to finally see Tom Noonan. Uh, yeah. And when you do, because when you do, it's so much more impactful. And I know Tom Noonan from Monster Squad as playing uh, Frankenstein's monster. And also, um, even nowadays, he was in, um, oh, Devil, uh, House of the Devil as yes. the antagonist and he's you know he it's like his gangliness in this and like his thin hair and there's just it's he's just eerie but he's not like it's not like they're trying to make him creepy you know right and there's something like pitiful about him too right. which kind of like fits into that character where he like he's so low self-esteem and needs to like create this alter ego to like finally feel accepted in society and then he just goes on these fucking murder fantasies and yeah absolutely terrifying in the in the red dragon the remake it's ralph fines who's a fine actor but he's just way too handsome to play somebody like that i think yeah and this is interesting because uh, you know there's so many adaptations i loved uh nbc's hannibal really good i thought uh that was a and i've never read the book so my my judgment on whether they're good or not is just personal taste, not so much like right. their adaptations. Have you read the books? No, no, I honestly haven't. And I, I always meant to, but it's my reading habits are awful. My, when I was a kid, too. I used to read all the time. Yeah. I have no excuse. That would be my next podcast is make me read a book. And, and uh, <laughs> Brian Clark's listening to this. He's, he's threatened to make me read books. He's threatened to make me cook food. Uh, he's always like, let's do some, let's do something other than movies. So uh, he, he's going to listen to this in a few weeks uh, and, and get at me. I know as soon as he hits the spot, he's going to send me a message, but uh, no, I, I need to get better at reading. I have a big stack of books next to my bed that have gone ignored and are covered in dust. But uh, this, I, I would love to see what is, what is most accurate i for some reason i imagine in my mind i'm like oh this is probably but it's probably just because i really like it i I still do feel like this is a very much a michael mann film right Uh, and i feel like everybody sort of has their their little touches on it but i mean i didn't watch any of the what was cbs put out clarice i think earlier this year yeah i I didn't hear anything good about that and i don't think i think it's already canceled after one season but it's so strange to me that these characters we just keep getting new adaptations. It's like, it never ends. I mean, I understand like, you know, we're always going to have a, a new Halloween movie. We're always going to have right. that, but it's like this story, this storyline with Hannibal Lecter, uh, Will Graham and Clarice are just all sort of like, 
it's it's just keeps living it like won't die and and for some reason like studios just keep pumping money into them hoping that something sticks um and it's it's crazy to me that this is the one that didn't stick and it was the first attempt like this is a great this is really great movie i fucking loved it i was i was blown away compared to you know i've never been a huge fan of and i like anthony hopkins but i've never been that that series never really stuck with me you know i was like okay i saw it okay cool move on where this one it feels like I don't know. It's like a punk rock version of it or something. Yeah. And, and the best part of it, I've watched this movie like 10 times and each time you watch it, you kind of pick up on more shit. And it's more like the subtle little things, the actors add that makes it feel even more real. And it, it's great. I love silence of the lambs, but Manhunter is where it's at. I even like Hannibal. It's, it's campy. It's like the campy dumb one, but it's still like entertaining. But Red Dragon's really where they kind of shit the bed. I have not seen the Hannibal show yet, and everybody tells me to, to watch it. They say it's great. Yeah, I, I really, really liked it. I need to go back and rewatch again. Um, towards the end, when it was uh, right before it got, I guess, technically, I guess it got canceled on NBC. They, they keep talking about possibly bringing it back for a movie or reboots so another season or something. Um, right. It got so crazy down like the rabbit hole with Will Graham that it was almost hard to follow. Um, so I need to sort of give it my undivided attention. And, and to do that, I would really have to, it's been so long, I'd have to start from the beginning, but, uh, I really do think it's, it's better than the movies. I think, uh, Mads is a, is a fantastic lector is he's different enough that, uh, right. he's so far out where it felt like Anthony Hopkins is, is pretty close to Brian Cox in a way where they have a similar, like slick back hair, uh, not just looks, but you know, it feels like Hopkins was a little inspired by that performance. Right. Looking back at it. But um, it's, it's interesting because this is definitely, and, and again, apples and oranges, but this is definitely like Will Graham's story that we're watching here. Uh, yes. Uh, Tooth Fairy and Hannibal take a backseat. We barely even see either of them. I don't think we see uh, Tooth Fairy for what, like 40 minutes into it. Like we're almost already halfway through. Um, we, we only get like two scenes with Hannibal. Um, this is actually just mostly Will's story about him, not just only chasing, you know, Manhunter, chasing the killer, but chasing his own demons, trying to balance out this stress in his life because um, we find out, you know, that he's sort of he's he was taking an early retirement because he saw some shit that haunted him and it fucked him up pretty good. And uh, they dragged him back in to to find this guy because he's one of the best. And once again, those demons start coming back. And, and you know, when, when Hannibal gets to Tooth Fairy, they, they start communicating, like, via the newspaper, which is yeah. crazy, <laughs> and, and code, and, and uh, get, eventually figures out... What, what was he doing with that, like, the rotary phone? He pulled the panel off and had... What was that? It was, like, bubble gum. And it, oh, I yeah, think yeah. It, cut, it cut the connection because he was supposed to be talking to his lawyer because apparently that's the only person he's allowed to talk to on the phone. So he... he, he takes out what he pulls the phone apart rubs this like maybe it's like the aluminum wrapper on gum yeah i think it was like double mint or something right so i guess that severs the connection then he calls operator calls this other person and and then gets will graham's address and it's just like such like a genius mastermind move and he does it and like and he's almost kind of like jovial about it like you can see like how this guy got away with murdering people for so long because he just kind of just started acting like a completely normal person right off the bat and it's just like oh wow you can tell this this dude is is serious yeah it's not quite even like a confidence it's just like an ease like it's like nothing it's just 
you know, an, another phone call to him and it's so smooth. And he, he's like, he knows his plan. He executes it and goes on with his day. Um, even his conversation he has like between Hannibal and Will Graham, that going back and forth, that dialogue between William Peterson and Brian Cox is so good. Yes. Yeah. There's that other scene where he calls him on the phone and I think it really kind of puts in perspective the differences between them because he even says like, it's in your nature. Don't, don't fight it. And you can see how relaxed and how, like you said, smooth he is about it because he knows exactly who he is and he doesn't fight it. But then it cuts to like William Peterson and he's just like sitting uncomfortably. He's like in a dark hotel room and you can tell like, no, this guy's in a tug of war between these two like halves inside him. Right. And you know, he, he like vows and he promises his wife, like, you know, this isn't going to be like the last time. And of course, when uh, tooth fairy gets his address it's like oh shit you know now things have hit the fan he's he's neck deep in this there's no going back he's got to find him before shit you know before he finds his wife before before he kills the next person Um, meanwhile what we do see of the tooth fairy is he's sort of um would you even call it dating this blind woman yeah he and he kind of like has his fantasy finally fulfilled where like he's murdering all these families because he wants to be accepted in a way. Like after he murders them, he like positions all their bodies and puts mirrors in their eyes so he like sees himself as this desired person. And then before he murders his third family, there's like a wrench in the gears where this woman desires him, and it, and you can see like how it just fucks him up. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do when someone actually wants him and is nice to him. Right. Uh, and there's that really crazy scene, and and I will get a little bit into it in the the trivia later. But when they're in like that office, and there's a sedated tiger, it's like, oh yeah, it's it's that's just like a it seems like a Michael Mann thing. Like I, that probably isn't a book, but um, it's such like a stylish scene, the way it's done with like the music over it, and they're like they're like putting their hands through its face, like yeah. feeling its whiskers, like just something so jarring. And especially in 86, you know, there was no way to fake it like that. That was an actual fucking tiger that was sedated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that is in the book because it's I know the Red Dragon, the remake, that one is actually like the book um, thoroughly. OK. And, and that's kind of like the problem of the movie where it feels like it's trying so much to be the book that like nobody really injects themselves into it to make it like their own thing so it just feels like you're reading the wikipedia page of a book and and who did you say directed red dragon brett radner okay so that brian singer's homie so to give you yeah so (laughs) you can avoid that one yeah i I mean i I don't it's not even on my list because this is like the only one that i really really um it's the only one you need trust me take my word for it yeah this is the one i really wanted to see for for quite a while and then you know of course my my horror friends are like, you haven't seen that one? Got to put it on the list. Uh, and, and, you know, I love Heat, so... Uh, yeah, Heat is so fantastic. Yeah, I figured this would be uh, good, but, man, there's a, a sort of jump around all the, all over the place, but uh, there's just so many great, memorable scenes in this one, not just the tiger scene, but, uh, you know, the, the incredible climax is, is just absolutely crazy when they finally... And it's sort of funny, you know, they, they, when you said people say this is dated, it's like that scene where they're on the plane and they get like a very low res uh, facts, I guess, of the killer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it comes in, it's like dot matrix. It's like, how can you even tell what he looks like from this thing? But uh, right. at the time, people were probably like, 
holy shit, the FBI can fax to a plane. <laughs> I, I also think it's more cinematic when you have things like that where people can actually touch and rip papers out of rather than like when you, you watch like police stuff now and everything's just like on a screen or on a cell phone screen. Yeah, and you know, th I think that is sort of just uh, oh, just the feeling of this movie in general. Right. Like it just the performances, there's not there's not a whole lot of uh, slick tricks to it. It's like it's just it's a character study. It relies on these performances and they're all great. So that's what makes it great. You know, it's like it's an old school, grimy sort of uh, character study of these this three way weird affair that they have going on. And, and somehow Will Graham gets stuck in the middle of these two lunatics that are are, yeah. pl are playing with him. They're They're, they're fucking with him. And his, like, I just, I'm blown away by William Peterson's performance in this too. It just, he's, he he's fucking terrific. nails it. Yeah. And, and you feel for him throughout this thing. Like if you had a lesser actor in that role, um, it, it, this would just not be the same. It would just, it, it could really, really depended on him because it's so heavy on him. And he just, he really blew me away. Yeah. Especially like the monologues where he's trying to get into the tooth fairy's head you know like a lesser actor those would have felt so corny right and even there's one scene i love this scene and i can understand like people like kind of scoffing at it but there's the the one scene um after he sends his wife and kid away and he he looks at the reflection of himself and he says it's just you and me now sport i'm gonna get you and like i know people can say that's corny but for whatever reason it just works for me in this movie yeah, I didn't think it was corny. I mean, it, and if you read it on paper, like if you wrote that on the screenplay, it probably sounds pretty corny. Like, and if you're if you haven't seen this and you're listening, I, I highly recommend you stop 35 minutes in and go watch the damn movie. But uh, if you you hear us say that, like you have to see the way he reads it and the way he does it, like right. you, you, especially at the point where it builds up to that, where he's it, it's yes. gotten to the point where he's like they they literally have his family's address he's scared for his life he's scared for their life i mean i guess he's probably more so scared for their life than his own at this point he's he's putting himself all in to stop this guy um before he can kill again but he lo sort of loses himself in these in these guys you know putting himself in he's watching this footage he falls asleep on the plane with all these like murder pictures and the little girl I love sees that. him i love that part <laughs> <laughs> Um, but also like that scene it's really cool because it kind of has this like double meaning because when he says it's just you and me now sport he of course you think he's thinking of the tooth fairy but also he could be talking to that like dark half of his where he's like no my wife and kid are gone i sent them away now i need to tap into you to get this fucking guy right and it's like yeah it's like oh shit like, i didn't like the first time i watched it, i didn't think of it like that but then like five or six times into it i'm like oh fuck i, I get it now yeah he, you know he's seeing his reflection so he's also talking to himself the the, right. the guy who has to get in the head of these lunatics and sort of let himself go right and he, and you know like the only time he really succeeds at it is after he sends his wife and kid away because he can't be attached to anybody because in the in the beginning like the first one when he's watching the tapes in the room and you see him like realize like oh he had to take his gloves off he had to touch her like he stops himself and calls his wife for like five seconds she's in bed and he's like never mind i'll call you later and that's like him like 
grabbing that anchor of sanity and it isn't until halfway through the movie when the shit really hits the fan like as you said the tooth fairy gets his address where he has to send them away and just sink into this like dark half of his and that's when it really fucking gets rocking yeah and uh the scene where he follows the dude uh in the in the the, the blind woman home and uh he kills him it's that's oh yeah, yeah, that's totally creepy too. And and by him, I mean Tooth Fairy, not uh, right. Will Graham. But again, I I always feel like I have to tell people over and over again, like don't listen to this if you haven't seen it because we're oh, literally yeah. spoiling everything. But um, yeah, you know that's to me that stood out as another great scene. This is one I definitely uh, I'll have to rewatch because I feel like I missed a few things, even though I sat down and actually you know sat and watched it. But it, it's worth a revisit because I feel like I'm gonna I, I've missed a few things, but I also like to watch it once and get my initial reaction for the the show and then go back and sort of absolutely you know catch more no and like i said that's like kind of like the strength of the movie is that each rewatch there's like subtle little things and all three of the the main heavies uh performances that like you just you get to know them better so you look out for them a little more and you're like holy shit that was actually like a, a clever thing that guy did that i didn't even pick up on and the first time I watched it, the first time I watched this movie, honestly, I liked it, and, but I didn't really think much of it. And then it just kind of nags me for like a week. And I was like, you know, I'm going to have to watch this again. And I was like, all right, uh, my, I, I was wrong. I love this movie. Yeah, I, I was really, you know, it's, it's a slow build up to the finale. But when you get there, they realize they've got their guy because there's several times where they think they've got the person. And they don't. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, almost a red herring. We're like, we got him. They, they think they're going to intercept this message in the newspaper and trick him. But I'm like, come on, man. It's like Hannibal and the Tooth Fairy are are just so damn clever right. and smart. Like you're not going to you're not going to trick either of these guys, especially Hannibal. I mean, he seems like the smartest, you know, psychopath alive. But uh, it's like, man, they're they're going to make him pay for this, even trying it. But when they finally do nag him. It's like almost you feel almost relief for Will Graham because uh, I don't know. I, I Of course, we feel very scared and vulnerable for the blind lady because she's blind, not just because she's blind, but she's with this lunatic and she doesn't even know it. Um, but in that that finale where he has her at the house and she's, you know, terrified, but she can't go anywhere. She can't move. Um and they they move in on the house and it's like, you know, Will, stay back. Let let them take care of it. He, he's yelling at him in the car on the way there. He's like, what do you you don't need your gun? Put put your gun away. You, let them take care of it. But he knows like we have we don't have a second to spare, you know, right. and it's so tense. Like, is he going to get there in time? Is he going to get there? And that's that scene. Um, what is the song that plays over that final scene? Like, is it Iron oh, Butterfly or? Yes. In the God of the Vita. Yeah. And there's a the reason that's in the movie this is really interesting michael mann was in touch with a serial killer in prison for a few years um he made a he made a tv movie called the jericho mile where he actually filmed in a california prison but uh he got to know the serial killer and the serial killer um fell in love and stalked this girl who he only had 30 seconds of of conversation with but in his deranged mind was like no we're we're in love we're a couple and in the guide of the vita by iron butterfly is our song and that's why michael mann put that in there that's cool i was wondering if that was some you know obviously not something that would probably be written in the book but 
uh it's just a very stylized thing like that scene right uh in this this whole movie like the soundtrack is really fantastic the score is awesome like i think it adds a whole lot to the movie yeah yeah that 80 synth stuff like um, some people even complain that it's like played out now like it's one of those things i'll never get tired of yeah i mean especially when it was like I mean, this is made in the 80s, of course, you know, that's yeah. we're not not people trying to emulate it, but I still yeah, I'm a sucker for it all. Uh, you know, give it all to me. I, I'm the same way. Does, also, does this have like a, a vinyl release of the, the score? I I want to say so. I, I got the soundtrack one time, but it was it was like a weird bootleg. OK, Um, but I want to say that what like death waltz or one of those companies had to have done it because it's just too damn good yeah i'd assume that it's out there somewhere probably fucking out of print and 150 dollars now or if if i'm lucky right yeah no, that's always a bitch but like a lot of people say like like you know this the soundtrack and the colors and stuff but one thing that should be stated is that 80s look michael mann was one of the pioneers of so it's not really like him just doing like what was hot at the time. He was kind of, you know, creating it, especially if you watch, you know, Miami Vice. Um, he did a movie in the early 80s called Thief, with James Caan, and uh, has Tangerine Dream on the soundtrack. And that movie fucking slays. Same thing with uh, there's a movie he did, a horror movie called The Keep. Um, it was a movie that he directed and disowned because the producers took it away from him and mutilated it. And also, the special effects guy behind it died uh, in post-production, so the effects never really came off the way he wanted to. That being said, knowing all of that, if you watch it and kind of know, like, okay, this movie was tampered with, it still has this great, like, vibe. Uh, is, and, yeah, the Tangerine Dream soundtrack adds a lot to it, but it's, I, I recommend, if you can find it, watch it. Yeah, I I definitely think this is, you know, uh, not not I, I hate to say just like stylized, but like you said, he, he was doing this before everybody else was doing it. It's like it's sort of like when people go back and they watch Halloween, it's like, oh, of course, Michael Myers is stabbing all the girls who are doing drugs and right. having sex. I'm like, yeah, they weren't doing that before. Like, exactly. You know, Carpenter sort of set the, the rules for the the eight and then everybody copied him and now look now people rewatch halloween and they're like oh all these stereotypes it's like well he made those man like they yeah, weren't stereotypes it, at the time exactly exactly it's it's one of those things where like pop culture kind of adopts and and reuses and regurgitates to the point where like those classics don't feel fresh anymore and you have to tell the audience like listen when this came out this was you know the trendsetter but some people they they're not in that mindset they just kind of like oh this is i know this yeah everybody does this it's like yeah but uh it, i was just gonna it, say Stephen lang in this um i fucking hate him but that that's why i'm supposed to hate him um, yes and, he is so good in this well i didn't even like recognize him until i read the oh credits my. i'm like oh he's still he's so young in this and, and and you know we sort of know him from um don't breathe movies now, yeah. but he's he's in a lot of stuff but i i did not recognize him until i looked on the imdb same thing i i know him don't breathe avatar yeah he's he's he and he's like tough and like militant he's like jacked right and in this he's just this like weaselly douchebag <laughs> and it, and it's and and he does it he does it great he he goes all the way with it and i love it he's he's terrific 
And that's sort of something that isn't really, I mean, I guess it is, but I was going to say it's not um, as prevalent in other movies where it's like the journalist that is, is like, I'm just doing my job, but he's really fucking up a lot of, um, you know, uh, of what their work. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's not a, it's done in other movies, but at this, and this, it's like, you get so fucking pissed at him because, you know, they play it. So it's well-written and it's well, well-performed, but it's like, I've never known if I've wanted to punch someone in the face so bad. It's like, exactly. He, he plays that, that tabloid journalist, you know, which is like the most prevalent now with, you know, social media where they just need to get those clicks, you know? Yep. And he's like, the 80s version of that and i mean yeah you, you do want to hit him but every time i watch it i was like wow i love just how far he goes with this like he, he just totally like a, a brave performance in a way where he's like i don't give a shit if everybody's gonna hate me i'm gonna go all the way with it and that's that's respectable yeah and he owns up to it he he doesn't uh try to hide behind it he's he knows he's a piece of shit but you know yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what i think makes it you know it's like freddie sounds would be the uh the TMZ of, of the eighties, or he would be like the clickbait guy. That's like, absolutely. You know, see what happened at the VMAs last night or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but I, of course I love all the fucking, uh, the, the costuming in this, everybody's clothes are so cool. Like everybody's hair is awesome. That's what I love about. And to me, it almost felt like I couldn't, I was surprised this was 86 cause it sort of has a late seventies feel to it in a way too. Um, and maybe it's just the characters or, or something about it's like grittiness or something, but it felt, like almost like uh i don't know and maybe i was only one years old when this came out but it just it sort of has that grimy uh like late 70s feel to it too no no you're uh, you're absolutely right because like the characters are dirtier you know like i mean your main character i mean he's he's the he's the hero but he still has this like twisted dark side to him which in the 80s that was when things were like you know uh, more spielberg had taken over everything right. was more whimsical and stuff and this movie is like no we're gonna let you peer into ugly people and let you make your own judgments about them and i feel like we don't get a whole lot of that now like just adult films that yeah. are studying like even like you said even the the hero we're rooting for is um has a dark past he has uh prob he, ha he has his own life problems he's not perfect uh i i don't and, and i hate to be that guy that's like we just don't they don't make them like they used to or whatever <laughs> yeah, you know shaking, kids these days yeah shaking my cane but it's like you know i, I and maybe you know it's the indie stuff that i need to watch more of but it's like you know you know i and i always hate comparing it to this one movie but it feels like you know like taxi driver very much like you know that's our main right. character you know we watch his story arc and it's like he goes from a pretty normal everyday guy to sort of an anti-hero and it's like we just don't see movies like this anymore right right and i think it's it's mostly because hollywood is is a is a producer's place and they're they're like you got to make likable heroes you know you gotta you gotta get that box office they don't want to take a chance on people walking out and be like oh wow what was that yeah because i mean it, i guess for this it has a it has a pretty happy ending i mean he he gets to the tooth fairy before he ends up killing his last victim, but he took out a lot of people on the way. Um, right. <laughs> and, and Will Graham uh, definitely is coming out of this with a lot more trauma. You know, yes. he's not coming out of this without any scars. He's definitely, you know, his wife and his kid l lived. So that's good. Um, 
It could have been a I lot have a, worse, but I have a question for you then. Um Do you all right, so Hannibal is kind of implying that the reason Graham's so good at this is because deep down inside him, he's actually one of them. He even he even says the first time they meet, where it's like, I know the only reason you're here is to get like the scent back, but you really should just smell yourself. And do you think that Hannibal is onto something and that Will Graham's actually kind of like fucked in the head and might be a budding psychopath? Or do you think that's just his mind game he's playing with him? I think it's I took it as more of like his mind game, like okay. the whole time he's sort of fucking with him. He's like, you know, let me see the, the file. You know, uh, they're going back and forth. It's almost like a ch- chess game back and forth, like a mental chess game between those two uh because you know he he, it's it's almost dangerous like he wants to get even into Lecter's head a little bit but it's like you don't want to go all in and not be able to get out right right so he has to tiptoe because because Lecter knows Lecter on the other side knows how to get into his head so it's like they're they're both in the same uh mind frame they know that they're fucking with each other it's like who's better at this than the other right right I mean I I, Lecter probably knows he's already in his head because I'm sure he knows how much he got fucked up after he caught him Right. And, and, you know, yeah, like you said, he, he's the one that caught Hannibal. So he knows he's seen his shit. He's seen his work. Um, right, right. And, and so he knows he's probably left that scar on him. But also, if it's got to the point where you're coming to see me to uh, ask question me and sort of get inside that mind frame, it must be pretty serious. And, and you must be, have, you know, that that sort of and, and maybe he does, you know, it's like he has some of those tendencies in his head. He knows he's not all there. Obviously, we know right. he's, he's psychologically damaged, but you know, maybe he does have a little bit of that and he, you know, make sure he doesn't slip, you know, pro- probably part of the struggle is, you know, keeping that balance. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's one of like the, the questions I ask every time I, I watch the movie and it's sort of like every time I watch it, I sway one way or the other. But the the most interesting thing though, is that for, for Graham at the end to kind of like get all of this out of his system, he has to fight the tooth fairy. Uh, he has to break in. He smashes through the glass, and then they fight to the death in the tooth fairy's fucking evil lair. But even though Graham is doing this to get out, get it all out of his system, he does have to kill the guy. Right. So it's sort of like it, it, it's like it could go one way or the other. Yeah, and he actually like. Yeah, that that scene where he gets like a running start and just dives yeah. right through the glass, crashes in, and then he gets sliced right in the face right away. Oh uh, yes, it's yes, brutal man. <laughs> he, he like goes and shatters the mirror and gets the piece of glass, and it's it's like that's what I think overall this movie is great because it feels real. Like he didn't he didn't like you know sneak into the house and and you know there was not like a gunfight back and forth where they're just missing each other like. You right. would see in so many different uh, 80s action movies where, you know, they're, they're shooting in the, the couch and the cushions are exploding and there's broken glass stuff like this is what it would really sort of be like, you know, it'd be down and dirty and and they'd be, you know, he'd use a piece of glass and cut his face. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. It's um, it's so much more fitting, too, because the the in the Red Dragon version, which is ba- which I know is closer to the book. What happens is, you know, the the guy, the tooth fairy kills who he imagines is is, uh, Reba's cheating on him with. Mm -hmm. He what he does is he takes his body and Reba and puts them in the house and burns it down. 
So everybody thinks that corpse is the tooth fairy. And then he does go to Will Graham's house at the very end. And him and his family have to kill the tooth fairy together. Oh. And it, and it's, it's like cool in a, like a twist ending kind of way. But I just feel Graham like tracking the tooth fairy down to his house and killing him just feels more thematically fitting to me well yeah it's manhunter he's hunting exactly and and, and, yeah Yeah. it's a huge epic ending with the music and yeah the glass shattering it's really cool and and it has some great like really interesting shots Um, yeah just so cool yeah and that like weird jittery editing that it does for it just like comes out and it's like like it it does these like weird cuts where like you kind of see them like pick up something twice it's it, it, it's jarring you know which it should be because it's a very ugly and violent scene yeah i almost thought for a second like uh it was like did that skip no no this is like a choice like th- this right is, and that's what i was sort of wondering i'm like is are these the things that were added is this like the director's cut is it is these this weird edit or um you know is it just something more of like just some extra scenes added or something no 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 that was always in there that was that was just like a way to convey like the chaos going on that's how i imagine it anyway i I like it i thought it was cool it's sort of like uh the palma's like you know split screen right right uh very it's a it's a choice and it's it's like a a decision they made that that adds to it i think like you said that scene is very chaotic so it's, it's pretty cool So real quick, we'll take a break and uh, hear from the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and then we'll come back and I have all kinds of trivia I pulled from IMDb. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So some of this you actually had mentioned, um, so I'll try to skip over some of that. But uh, this didn't have, compared to something like you know Ghostbusters or Jaws, it doesn't have pages and pages of information. So I'm glad that I had someone that knew this shit on the show. Um, but during the filming of this movie, Sir Anthony Hopkins was playing King Lear at the National Theater. During the filming of Silence of the Lambs, Brian Cox was playing King Lear at the National Theater. Just sort of a weird yeah. coincidence. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I, I, that one's not really um, like you know relevant to the film. I just thought it was a cool coincidence. Yeah, yeah that's neat. Um, and we touched a little bit on this, but the, this movie was originally going to be titled Red Dragon, the same name as the novel. However, when Year of the Dragon became a box office failure, executive producer Dino De Laurentiis decided to avoid a dragon title. In May 1991, NBC decided to capitalize off Silence of the Lambs by airing this film under the title Red Dragon: The Curse of Hannibal Lecter. That's a weird title. Yeah. So they were, yeah, they, they, uh, were trying, they thought, oh, well, Sansa Lambs, people know it. So let's try, you know, let's just retitle this. Yeah. It's a little long, a little wordy, but, uh, I, I get what they're trying to do. Right. Yeah. They needed ratings. Yeah. Uh, when the production could not, and I love this one. I really like this fact. When the production could not get permission to film, 
on board a commercial airplane, writer and director Michael Mann booked his actors, actresses, and crew onto a twilight flight from Chicago to Florida, where the production was relocating anyways. A stripped-down camera, lighting, and sound equipment were taken on board as carry-on luggage. Pilots and flight attendants were appeased with gifts of movie crew jackets. So they didn't even like th- this was done like truly like rogue. It was like, yeah, let's just let's, we're going to carry the show on. We're going to we're flying there anyways. Let's do it and just try to, uh, you know, like bribe the pilots and flight attendants. And it worked. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's guerrilla filmmaking right there. I love it. It's so cool. Um, it, it shows when you have a director who's like driven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you could never get away with that now with the no. All the, oh yeah, all the in post nine eleven. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you're not carrying that shit on a plane. You're not gonna. I mean, people bring their phones. That's about as far as it goes. Um, in a featurette included on the DVD, Tom Noonan said that he avoided all contact with cast members in order to heighten the isolation and tension between him and other people, particularly uh, Peterson, who played Will Graham. So uh, that doesn't surprise me. That seems to be pretty standard for people, especially, I mean, at the uh, level of his character. Like, we, we right. don't see him for, you know, over half the movie. And when we finally do, it's, it's, it's like jarring because, oh, shit, you know, he, like we talked about earlier, um, he just nails it. So I remember I, I saw an interview with him where he requested that when he was on set, he'd have a PA ahead of him and a PA behind him. So nobody would approach him. Oh, and you know, it's just him, like his way of sinking into the character. Yeah, I, I imagine it would be hard to t- turn uh, the tooth fairy off and on. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think I, it was William Peterson that actually said that after this movie, he it took him a while to shake Will Graham off. Yeah, sort of uh, funny. It's like almost. Uh inception like you know he's so will will graham would have had a hard time shaking off these yeah. uh these criminals yeah. and then he had a hard time shaking <laughs> off will graham it's like oh shit but uh, no tom noon and i i he plays so many weirdos and creeps it's like uh, if he i know he used to do the convention circuit i'm not sure if he does now but i, I don't know if i'd want to meet him because i sort of have this like in my head that he's this guy you know and i don't, I don't yeah. know if i want to ruin that <laughs> image of it it's like I, i'd just rather rather think that he's just this weirdo well, th- well, think of him as just as Frankenstein's monster because he's he's really adorable in that. Yeah, it's true, and it, it has like the saddest ending when you know, yeah, Phoebe oh Bart. god, yeah. oh my god, I used to watch that movie all the time when it was on TV. That was like a Halloween staple on TV here. Oh yeah, and oh my god, I love it so much. It's been a few years. I, I'm gonna have to revisit it. Yeah, we still watch it every Halloween, and and we're lucky enough. I think it was two years ago we had Andre Gower here at our theater showing off uh, his his documentary wolfman's got nards yeah i uh, still need to see that i think it's on like tubi now or something so uh oh oh that's perfect yeah. tubi is fantastic i love tubi so much. Oh, oh yeah i know like for for horror fans it's like sort of the go-to that and shutter right now are the two that are most utilized for people i know some people complain about the commercials on there but like it, for some weird reason, it reminds me of watching movies on TV again, like I did as a kid. So I like it kind of puts me back in that like nostalgia. So I don't mind it. Yeah, I, I'm OK with it, too. I mean, what can you expect for completely free in the, the catalog they have? I, I, Absolutely. Can't Absolutely. complain too much. And at my age, I like to take breaks, get up and get a drink and stuff. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, I, I wouldn't want to watch this. I wouldn't want to watch uh, Manhunter on there because I, I feel like this is something you need to watch without breaks to get in that mindset. 
right um, but certain movies yeah i mean if you're if you're gonna throw a monster squad on that would be perfect if only they could throw in 80s commercials with it too that would be perfect oh my oh my god uh i think a few years ago uh, and i won't get down this rabbit hole too much but um it was like maybe it was last year the anniversary of twin peaks they uh someone aired the the pilot the original airing of the pilot from abc with the commercials intact like on twitch or something Wow. And that was fucking cool. Like someone had it on a VHS and they transferred it to their computer and aired it as it as if it was airing for the first time. And I, I caught a little bit of it and it was like fucking being in a in a time machine. It was so cool. Somebody did that on YouTube for uh have you ever seen the Midnight Hour? I don't think so. Oh, oh, I'm sure you'd love it. It's this mid eighties uh made for TV Halloween movie. And it's really campy and it's really fun. But somebody like recorded its like premiere and put it on YouTube. It's almost unwatchable. Like there's a better version. I think Anchor Bay released like the DVD like 15 years ago. But still, like I kind of just skipped around just to watch the commercials, and I was like, holy shit! Like commercials used to be so like quaint and fun and innocent, and now they're just like 30 second aggressive TikTok videos. Oh yeah, and and if you uh, and I've talked about him on the show before, but if you don't follow um, Dinosaur Dracula on either instagram or facebook like he always does leading up to halloween he'll do like the six halloween commercials from 1986 and he'll find like regional local commercials i'm 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 following him and right now he's doing like 2003 four and five which is like my final years in high school well i graduated no four yeah and i'm too. like oh my god i remember those fucking like that um the snacks, yeah. All yeah, the, it was the tasty cakes. Yeah, that, that, oh, yeah. Like, those bright orange things, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, me and my wife are like, oh, Dinosaur Dracula's got a new video, throw it up on the TV and, and laugh our asses off. This, that guy, yeah, he's funny. Yeah, he's doing he's doing God's work by, I mean, he, he, he had like a box of those uh, King Kong banana Twinkies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that he just is a lunatic and keeps all that shit and, you it, know he had he showed in one video um oh my god <laughs> in 2003 do you remember the hulk movie oh yeah so hershey's decided to make hulk syrup so it was their chocolate syrup but it was green <laughs> but uh the thing was if you drank it your shit would be, <laughs> would be green <laughs> so so my friend brian and i we we're juniors in high school so of course we're immature would have contests to see <laughs> <laughs> shit would be the greenest <laughs> all right i'm done, I'm done. <laughs> well no burger king had like a whopper with a black bun a few halloweens ago oh yeah and, and they did like a black slushy too and that had the same effects uh it's just, something about that dye was doing they had a green bun chicken sandwich too and it's like uh, i i miss uh the novelty halloween stuff but i i'm a sucker i have the the monster mash cereal on top of my fridge right now i have i have the ha halloween mountain dew even though i don't even drink soda i'm like i'll drink it for halloween but uh right yeah. right Where, where's the uh we need some like manhunter tie-in i wouldn't even know <laughs> <laughs> tooth fairy cereal yeah there we go <laughs> lector o's oh gosh uh uh, the scene I, go ahead sorry. oh oh um i don't know if you noticed um the scene where william peterson's explaining to his son about like all the things that go down if you look behind him you see a classic count chocula and booberry on the shelves really i and I, yeah i i remember that scene because they're at the grocery store and he's like he's afraid of his dad and he's like yeah you know, what's the deal like what happened to you and, and that's where we find out you know he sort of explains what what happened in the past 
when he stops, if you look at the left-hand side, you see, you just see the labels, but yeah, classic Count Chocula and Booberry. And I'm just like, it's and like, especially now that time of year is coming. Yeah. I'm just like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Puts you right. I still have like, when they did the original throwbacks with uh, Yummy Mummy and all those like oh, six yeah. or seven years ago, I, I took the cereal out and just kept the boxes because they're so cool. I bought the the Monster Party one, but I haven't opened it yet. Yeah. I just don't want to. Yeah, I have it too on my uh, fridge. I was actually just talking to Brian about that, like right before we recorded, because he said uh, he was listening to the, I think the Ghostbusters episode, and I mentioned it because uh, those guys from Lunch Break Podcast uh, were trying it for their podcast, and uh, yeah, it, it's so <laughs> strange. Like we're all in our thirties, and we're like, yeah, like cereal, you know, like I know, but it's it's. It... Like especially Halloween, I get the most nostalgic. Me too. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's not quite the same, but you know, whatever we can do to take us back to times where um, everything didn't fucking suck, and you know, right, and right. Ha- Halloween was a blast. Oh my god, yeah. Um, the scene which I mentioned this one a little bit earlier, but the scene where Reba McClain touches a sedated tiger features a real sedated tiger. Um, the veterinarian is played by a real veterinarian, so I imagine they had to have a lot of safety precautions in that situation. Yes, I'd Jesus. still be fucking terrified. I, I, would, I, I wouldn't do it. I would. I, I wouldn't even want to touch its like back, and they're running their hands by its mouth. I'm like, yeah, holy shit. I, I'm I'm too chicken shit. I would never do that. And that thing's not a baby. That is a huge motherfucker. When they, she puts her hand on his face, it's oh like it looks God, tiny. Yeah. It's it's Ugh. terrifying. It's weird how like you know that it's not gonna come alive and it's not gonna wake up. This movie was made in '86, but it's like it's still it's uncomfortable watching it. Have you ever seen Roar? Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have you yeah. watched that? You know, oh. that might be why the scene is so tense to me. But uh, I. I love Roar has has one of the best taglines of every of any movie where it's like no animals were harmed in the making of this motion picture, but 37 cast and crew (laughs) were. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's it's something that, yeah, it sort of had a comeback like four or five years ago through through uh, the Alamo Draft House. And it's like another one of those movies like how is this not talked about all the time? Yeah, uh, it, sh- it should have yeah. had a resurgence when Tiger King was a thing. Like when when Tiger yeah. King became a thing, I was like sending it to people like you have to, if you like Tiger King and it was on the whole movie was on YouTube. So I was like sharing the link out to people and we're like, wow, yeah, like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, this is the wildest the two shit together. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, people weren't watching uh, Tiger King for the animals. I don't think they're watching because, yeah, there, there's not quite a uh, guy like that in, in Roar. But there's a, an Italian movie called Wild Beasts. Um, and it's about eco-terrorists putting PCP in the water supply of a zoo and the animals going crazy and the movie they filmed with real animals. So like, there's a scene where like polar bears are uh, like this polar bear is attacking like a preschool and it's a real polar bear and it's real children. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. What's it called? Wild beasts. I'll have to look that up. That sounds right up my alley on weird shit. It's, it's, um, trigger warning there's a hideous scene involving rats where real rats die which uh, is awful yeah but yeah yeah that's I, like my biggest gripe with with movies yeah mine too yeah uh hannibal cannibal holocaust you know is sort of yeah known for that horrible uh, m- multiple right. horrible scenes but uh yeah yeah that whole subgenre and even like i watch a lot of hong kong movies and they go through like snakes like they're nothing and it's just like oh come on yeah i mean it's part of life but it's tough to watch and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah doing it for the sake of a movie you know at least i think i heard and, and i don't know if this has always been just a rumor but they said in like 
cannibal holocaust they ended up like eating all the animal yes. part stuff so at least it wasn't just for a movie you know but yeah because all of those movies they were shot really in the amazon right. and so the tribes around them were like you know really eating that stuff but still i mean i'm a vegetarian and like i mean it's it's hypocritical because i fucking i do enjoy those movies but it's <laughs> it's like uh yeah come on yeah and it was a different time you know luckily right we've right. learned and, and moved on from that right and these movies were made before i was born it's not like i could sign a petition or anything you know right yeah uh, I thought this was pretty interesting. According to an interview with Brian Cox, the following actors were considered for the role of Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Uh, Brian Dennehy, Bruce Dern, John Lithgow, and Mandy Patikin. Um, I, could see, um, I, have a, I could see almost all these guys doing it. I don't know if they would... It, it's always hard when you've already seen someone do it. Right. To imagine, but, but all those names are, are fantastic actors, so... The the most interesting one was Brian Dennehy was actually going to get the role, and him and Michael Mann were friends, and Brian Dennehy actually walked up to Michael Mann, and he's like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you how good of a friend I am. Go check out this guy, Brian Cox, who's doing a stage show in New York City, because that's the Hannibal you want. And... Brian and Michael Mann went and saw him, and he's like, "You're right. I'm like, sorry, you're out of the job now. <laughs> you talked yourself but, out uh, of it, but you, you made right. it, but you got the right Hannibal." So, uh, another, um, I don't know if that's on there, but another guy considered for it, and this would have been really interesting, and I would have loved to go to the alternate universe where this happened. Um, Michael Mann almost convinced William Friedkin to play it. Yeah, I read a little bit about that. I didn't put it in my notes, but. Uh very interesting like he was he's not even known as an actor and no not really but i mean he he has that weird look to him too. yeah yeah that yeah that would be i i, I think i talked about it on um my suspira episode but uh matt gorley who's a podcast host talks about like in in his version of heaven there's a video store that has all these alternate versions of movies. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you saying that. Yeah, that would, uh, and that would be that was great. Yeah. That would be one that would be on the shelf. Oh my God. Yeah. Well him, he made a movie with William Peterson the year before called to live and die in LA, which mm -hmm. if you haven't seen, it's fucking fantastic. It's uh, William Peterson plays a psycho cop again, but instead of like, he's not like he is as Will Graham. He's kind of like this adrenaline uh, junkie cop who is trying to get uh, this money counterfeiter played by Willem Dafoe in an early role. And it's, it's sort of like a quasi-sequel to, to The French Connection, where The French Connection's like 70s gritty New York. This is like 80s neon LA, and it, and they, and it has like another incredible car chase scene that it has to be seen to be believed. Well, I'll just keep adding movies to my list uh, <laughs> on this episode. I'm going to have like another 20 on, at the end of this. Uh, Richard Gere, Mel Gibson, Jeff Bridges, Mickey Rourke, Kyle MacLachlan, Harrison Ford, and Don Johnson were considered for the role of Will Graham. Um, Johnson was also considered for the role of Francis Dollarhide. I uh... Yeah. Can you imagine Richard Gere? Ugh, gross. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like, I, I don't mind him, but not for this role. Right. I mean, like, um, uh, personal opinions uh, uh, aside, uh, 80s Mel Gibson, you know, like the, like the Mad Max movies. Right. But uh, I kind of like how William Peter, I mean, this and To Live and Die in L.A. were like really his own only 80s movies. So, like, he doesn't have that Hollywood glitz behind him. Right. 
and I, I honestly think they they chose correctly. He just sinks into that role too well. Well, that yeah, like I said going into this, I didn't, I, I avoided all trailers. I did not read into it. Um, I just hit play because I think that's the best way if you're going to watch it for the first time. Um, right. But it would have been, and and you know, I recognize actors, but not to the to the point where it's like, oh, there's Harrison Ford. What the fuck, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like even actors I really love, they still have too much baggage behind them. Where I think of like the other roles. Yeah. Yeah, especially, I mean, Harrison Ford, that would have been, you know, 86 would have been Star Wars right around there. Uh, right, Indiana Jones. Br- Bridges was everywhere and in, in, around this time. Like you said, Mel Gibson. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin, that was an interesting one to me. Like, I, I associate him with, you know, Lynch and, and later. In like yeah. 90s, so, I don't know. I think he would have worked the best out of that lot. I think so, too. Because he has a sensitivity to him that the other ones don't. Yeah, it, it maybe you know who knows if it would have been a little too close to uh, his role in Twin Peaks, but uh, right, it, it's definitely a different character. Um, uh, writer, and you actually talked about this one. Uh, I had this in my notes about how they they picked Iron Butterflies in a Gata de Vida. Uh, really cool story about how you know he was uh, corresponding with right. a, with a killer in Texas named Dennis Wade Wallace. Uh, and they said that that was their song. I, I love that one. And then the last one, which I think is very, very interesting. Uh, David Cronenberg and David Lynch were both in contention for directing this. Yeah, yeah. And both of them, I mean, their versions would have been very different, but each one would have done a real, especially Cronenberg. Like if he did it like the same kind of like way he did Dead Ringers. I feel it would have really worked, but and then like this is '86, so this was really when he was breaking out of that body. Or like he did the fly in '85. Yeah, and so then doing he, yeah his own thing, right? Like naked lunch and all, like getting like more psychological. Not to say his body horror isn't, because it really is. But yeah, I mean, and David Lynch too. I I mean, yeah, I would go to that video store in heaven and rent both <laughs> yes. those movies. Yeah, I, I you know, in a perfect world, we would have had like manhunter by cronenberg or by, by man and like, yeah. then like the sequel like you know we have silence of the lambs by uh cronenberg and like we'd have like yeah. a trilogy of these movies yeah. and each yeah. one got to direct one that would just be awesome and that's and, the... and they would not connect at all because there's three very very different directors that have a very distinct way of making their own work right that's that's one of the reasons why uh i know remakes get a bad rap and i know i i trash them plenty but the fact of getting a remake but giving somebody who actually has like a legitimate vision and it's not just a cash grab by producers i'm i would watch five versions of this with the directors were were of that caliber yeah yeah those are like you know two two names that you could throw at me and i would be okay with uh right so as we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts on this one? Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, no, I think we covered everything. I had a lot of fun. I'm just glad you liked it. I was, I was, I was kind of nervous. I was, I was, uh, because I know the last two you did, everybody was kind of lukewarm. And I was like, oh no, I hope that's not a trend. I hope he likes it. But I'm fucking glad you did because I think this movie's terrific and I think more people should see it. Yeah, I watched it like... So I think I started at like mid morning and afternoon where I was like wide awake and, and I, I try not to watch something for the first time late at night where I'm like tired and, and I, right. Cause I want to pay the most attention to it. And this one, yeah, it gripped me. Like I did never, I sort of, I, I hate to be like that 
judge a movie by it but it's like if i find myself like checking my phone to see how long it's been or like yeah hitting pause to get up and get something to drink or eat because you know i'm losing like this one i sat down and it was over before i knew it and i'm like well shit that was two hours that's crazy right like, right and it's hypnotic it, 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 it's great so yeah I, I really thank you for uh doing this where can people hear twitch of the death nerve it's available anywhere you listen to your fine podcasts I'll make sure to link it in the notes. Uh, definitely, if you enjoy this type of movie, you'll get more and, and some deeper cuts. Like, what other episodes have you guys done recently? Uh, we did Gates of Hell. Um, we have, I think it's going to be released <clears throat> later this week, The Untold Story, which is a very notorious uh, Hong Kong serial killer movie. And um, we did an episode where we just covered animal attacks movies. We just did, like, a broad episode we didn't pick one specifically well again uh thanks so much for being on the show it's been great yeah thanks for having me and i'll have to have you come back because you have a lot of great suggestions on here um like i said you i've added several movies to my list now so Sick, yeah. Uh, yeah i'll have to check something out and maybe eventually i'll find something you haven't seen but i highly doubt it uh, uh no actually actually i remember you posed this question in the previous episode yes and I, what ooh. get something off your chest something that you haven't seen. yes yes um this is gonna sound weird especially since we were talking about john carpenter earlier and uh this one's atypical of his and that's probably why i always forget it even though i always mean to get around to seeing it and it's from his golden age but i've never seen starman okay that makes more sense though i mean it's like his only not even horror adjacent or it's only like non-genre film. So. Right, right. And, well, I've never seen The Ward either, but I don't the, think the, I'm going <laughs> to. <No. laughs> I own it on DVD and Blu-ray. I'm a sucker, but um, no, I, actually, I might watch it one day. I watched Starman on VHS a few weeks ago. Like I have this little tiny uh, like 10 inch TV with a built in VCR. I found at a garage sale right. and, I, and I have Starman on VHS. I'm like, this seems like something I should watch on VHS. So. Uh, sat and watched it while I edited a podcast, and and it's I, I love it, of course. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm like you said, anything uh, Carpenter's worst is still better than most people's best. So right, and it's just like it, the it's just so different from everything he's ever done. Where like I always completely forget about it. Yeah, it's always sort of been like uh, I always felt like, and and maybe I'm just projecting this, but it always sort of felt like uh, after doing so much horror and you know the thing flopping, mm -hmm. he was sort of like. I just want to show that I am a skilled filmmaker that can make normal movies that don't have blood and guts right. and gore. I can, I can make a heartfelt story and he, and he fucking knocked out of the park. And then he's like, now I'm going to go back to what I, I'm good. I, I know, you know what people know me for. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think like his, his career was kind of like dictated by like the, the success of what he did before. Yeah. Because I know like he did Christine because that was one of the ones he did because the thing flopped and he's like i need a hit this is a stephen king novel adaptation yeah yeah he yeah he's after the thing flopped and he sort of lost his like big universal picture deal uh, yeah and had to go back to the indies I, I in some ways it's like a lot of you know again that video store what if you know he was supposed to do i think like firestarter or something else and yeah he got canned and they thought of uh christine as like a lesser uh Stephen King movie so he got that and I, to me it's like one of the best adaptations next to Carrie and you know there's yeah when you get I good, love it yeah when you give a good director um a, people always shit on Stephen King adaptations I'm like yeah because you're not giving them to good directors 
Right, right. There's there's a handful that are that are great though. The the Cronenberg's the Dead Zone rules too. Right. But again, a good director. Yeah. You know, you give a good director a good story. It turns out that they make good movies. He um Carpenter, I didn't know this until recently. In the early nineties, he had so many jobs that just like slipped through his fingers. He was set to remake Creature from the Black Lagoon at yeah. one point. Yeah, and I think there's some videos you can see where he's like they might be in bonus features or something where he's doing interviews and you can see like a i don't know if it's like a like a sculpture or like it's an actual like statue of his version that they were going to use in oh the movie. fuck yeah and i gotta see that yeah i need to track it down but someone noticed like is that his version is it's different enough that it's like this isn't based on anything it has to be his he never acknowledges it but it's like in the background of at his yeah. house like in his office on a shelf or something so uh, you know, like again, um, you could have a whole Carpenter uh, video star of things that you know he was lined up to do that oh he never God, got. Yeah, I my perfect universe um, is that Halloween three succeeded, and that initial idea of every year having a new Halloween themed horror movie where he produced and did the score for, and had like a new director do their own thing. That uh, I I feel like we we're robbed that we didn't get that yeah and i feel like now is the time that you know people would be on board and he's more um you know he's more comfortable doing scores and producing and stuff like it, right. it would be really cool like they, they even sort of teased it when he did his comic book tales of halloween night i think is what it's called yeah they, they said that you know sci-fi channel tried to pick it up for an anthology series and some some kind of creative differences in carpenter backed out um, but uh, yeah. I don't know, you know, if I, I would have trusted it to be on like the sci-fi channel, I, maybe it's a good thing that he backed out, but um, yeah. it sounded sort of similar, like almost a continuation of that idea where I know the comic books are sort of like that an anthology type thing. It's a different story in each book, uh, which yeah, I, in an alternate universe, that would have just been so great. People, oh my God. people were spoiled. It didn't have Michael Myers. Like what? A, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that if Halloween three was part two, it might have had more legs. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and it's you know his disdain for Halloween too, and the fact that they've gone back and erased <laughs> yeah. it. it. It's yeah. I don't I don't say I have guilty pleasures. I don't like that term, but um, I love Halloween too, even with its faults. I know I recognize that it has. It's like the uh, Bizarro Halloween where it's over the top and gory and gratuitous, and it has nudity. Right. And he went against every one of his tendencies from the first movie and. You know, we've heard that it was actually Carpenter was the one that initiated all that. Like they they said Rick Rosenthal basically made like a very Halloween version of Halloween 2. Yeah. And Carpenter was like, no, we need right now. Kids want to see like boobs and blood and gore. We need right. to ramp this up with some more kills. And it's just he, he, very non-Carpenter. He actually did the same thing with The Fog. But yeah. the fog still has that atmosphere. But I remember reading an interview with him where he's like he was looking at the fog and he was just like. It, well, the fog's like 80, right? 79, 80? Yep. I think it's 80. Yeah. And he was just like, people have just watched Alien, Phantasm, Dawn of the Dead. Like, this needs a little more, like, grisly scenes. And and nothing, there's nothing in there that's too gratuitous. But, oh, yeah. like, it's still in, it still, you know, has some nasty bits. But that movie's all atmosphere. That's one of the reasons I love it. And it has this most underrated soundtrack, I think. I think so, too. And, and he shits all over it. I think he, uh, if he could erase that from his history, would it's it's amazing to oh, me. I'm like, you know, yeah, the, the way he talks about it. I'm like, how dare you? Yeah, erase like, Village of the Damned. You know, not I, leave I, the fog alone. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, with that, I'm I'm not even a big uh, in the mouth of madness fan. 
Uh, I it's been years since I've seen it, and I'm not like uh, like in love with it or anything. I need to revisit it, but at least it, it feels more inspired than than some of his later other later stuff. Yeah, I mean, I own all of them, and like I said, I even own the Ward on DVD and Blu-ray, but um, it's just I can't, you know, not and and he right. he showed some promise with uh, his Masters of Horror episode, especially Cigarette Burns is fucking great. I've seen that. I've never seen what's it, the other one? Pro Life. Pro Life, yeah, not not so great, but uh, you know, it, it, to me, it's like Cigarette Burn showed that he still has it. It's just I, I just don't think he really has the drive. Yeah, I think it was. He said that Ghosts of Mars is what tapped him out. <laughs> yeah, I think it tapped all of us out on on carpet. <laughs> I guess if there is such a guilty pleasure as that one, it's so bad it's it's fun sometimes. Uh. But yeah, I'm afraid to see it, see it again. Been, I might. With it. I think I rewatched it for maybe maybe for an episode of AOTKP or something. Uh, there was some reason I was like, I actually had to sit down and watch it. It wasn't by choice. And uh, it, I guess it wasn't as bad as I had put it in my head. But um, maybe it's because I went in with the expectations of knowing it's going to be hard watch, you know? Right. I still have a soft spot for vampires. Yeah, I've tried to we're actually um looking at doing a vampire another vampire episode of aotkp and i was like can we put john carpenter's vampires on so i'm forced to rewatch it because i need to re it's due for a rewatch for me it's been so long yeah james james woods is great in it yeah it's too bad he sucks as a person but it's he's got a lot of like it it always breaks my heart when respect yeah yeah me too so um, I guess that wraps up our episode on Manhunter. Thanks again, John, for coming on the show, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.